You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today's podcast is sponsored by FastBitcoins.com. FastBitcoins provides a simple way for people to buy Bitcoin directly from their bank account or with cash in physical stores. Their services are rapidly growing in availability across the UK, Estonia, as well as Canada and they're launching in Australia soon too. FastBitcoins is committed to providing high-quality Bitcoin-only services. They want to make sure that the growing number of people interested in buying and benefiting from the possibilities of Bitcoin can do so easily, securely, and with as few distractions as possible. Learn more about FastBitcoins' range of services at fastbitcoins.com, including how you can earn Bitcoin for free through their referral scheme. That is fastbitcoins.com. Fastbitcoins.com. Go check them out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's show, we have got on my friend Ryan Mickler, who is the founder of Order of Man. He hosts the Order of Man podcast, which is fantastic. I could recommend that you check it out, orderofman.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Glad to be having this conversation for round two. You came out of my podcast, I don't know, what was it, six months or so ago, and I've been yeah. looking forward to this one for sure. Awesome, man. Got to return the favor. So yeah. I've done a super brief intro there, but for people who are not familiar with you, Ryan, tell them a little bit about you. Yeah. I mean, first, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a father of, of four kids. Um, I'm a husband I, and frankly, I'm just a guy trying to become a more capable man. I mean, that's really it, you know? And so people ask me about order of man and what we started and, and, and this movement at this point, um, I started it for selfish reasons. I just wanted to have conversations with great men who knew something about something and mm -hmm. wanted to emulate what they knew and imply it, uh, apply it in my own life. And gosh, we started five years ago and it's just, it's just really taken off. Which awesome. is a testament to the fact that there's other men around the planet who want to do the same thing I want to do, which is to become a better father, a better mm. husband, a better leader in my community, and just, just become the man I know I'm capable of becoming. Yeah. Well, I think ultimately that is what most men strive for, whether or not mm -hmm. they are cognizant of it and whether or not they think about it. I think every, every boy, every man, ultimately those are the things that, at least most of those, those are things that they strive for and that they that they want. Um, what was it specifically that made you want to start it? Was it just having those conversations or was there something in particular that made you think, you know what, I want to create something for men where I can have these conversations? Yeah. I, I mean, there was a lot and, and I don't know if there was a, a particularly defining moment. Um, I, I remember one of the, the darkest times of my life was when I went through my separation with, with my wife and, uh, I didn't, I didn't have a father figure growing up. My dad was around, but him and my mother divorced when I was three years old. And I had a couple of stepfathers come into my life and I just didn't have a great example. I had some coaches, some football coaches and baseball coaches come into my life that were instrumental in helping me become a, a better man in general. But this really didn't manifest for me until I started having struggles in my marriage and I started having children. And mm. I realized, holy cow, like I don't, I don't have any 
idea. Like I have no idea about what I'm doing here. Yeah. And I floundered, man. I floundered for a lot of ways and in, in, in a lot of years. And um, I figured some things out on my own. Um, I enlisted the help of other men around me and I realized, okay, if I want to be successful, whether it's on the business front or the family front or any facet of my life, then I'm going to have to find somebody who knows something that I don't. Cause I, I feel like I'm, I'm just treading water here, just trying to stay alive. And I want to mm-hmm. find somebody who knows how to do it. And that's what I did. And I started reaching out towards, uh, to, uh, mentors in my business. Uh, and I found two in particular who helped guide me and instruct me and teach me. And I brought them in and his business partners. And it wasn't until that moment that my business started to take off. And I was like, Oh, this is a light bulb moment. Like there's people who know what it is they're doing. All I have to do is ask them how they did it. And they're mm. well, they're more than, than welcome and happy to share that information with me. Maybe they can teach me how to be a dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they can teach me how to be a husband. Maybe they can teach me how to uh, improve my physical fitness, which was horrendous at the time. Mm. Uh, and I went on this path and I thought, what, what a great opportunity to help other men get on the same path. I never placed myself on a pedestal. Like I know it all and I still don't, mm-hmm. but I said, let's, let's do this together. Guys, like this is the direction I'm going. I don't know where it's going to lead. I have optimism and hope it's going to lead me to a better place. Like, let's come with me. Like, let's do this together. And yeah. that's what we did about five years ago. Awesome, man. I'm curious to sort of run, run it back a little then and find out more about your, your childhood and growing up. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about your sort of personal story and journey? Yeah. Like I said, my dad was out of the picture when I was three. I, I'll be frank. I always had a pretty good relationship with him. You know, I really admired and respected him. Looking back on it now, I mean, there was some, some shortfalls and inadequacies I think he'd be willing to admit as well. Unfortunately, he passed away two years ago and Something I actually don't talk a whole lot about is I missed his last breaths by 30 minutes. Mm. You know, my mom called me up and she said, hey, your dad's not doing well. And I said, oh, he'll be fine. He's had smart issues. He'll be fine. He's in the hospital. She called me a couple days later. Hey, he's not, he's really not doing well. I'm like, no, 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 he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. She calls me up two days later. She's like, you need to get down here to California. And I was in Utah at the time. And so I took me and my two boy, my two oldest boys with me and went down there. And um, yeah, man, he died oh, 30 man. minutes before I got to say goodbye to him. Man, and uh, I don't talk about that a whole lot, but there's some things I wish I would have told him, you know, and I'm, I'm sure there's some things that he wished he would have told me. Uh, I, I forgive him for a lot of his shortfalls and, and, and shortcomings because I see those things in myself. Um, but in a lot of ways, he taught me some good things too, you know, and his legacy, even though it wasn't perfect and it was flawed and scarred in some ways, lives within me. Um, but, you know, I had other stepfathers come into my life who, were, uh, who weren't a great examples. I had one who was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. never abusive, just really wasn't present. Um, I had another stepfather who was verbally and emotionally abusive. Not, not to me, actually, surprisingly. He actually, yeah. he loved me. He, he, I mean, him and I were pretty close, but he was, he was that way with my sister and my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, man, I didn't have a great, I didn't have a great, I don't, I don't want to say childhood. I don't want to make it sound like that. I had a great childhood. My, man, my mom loved me with all of her heart mm-hmm. and, and soul. And she did, man, she was the hardest working woman I've ever seen. She worked three jobs at a time at some points in her life to make sure that we never had to worry about a roof overhead or, or food on the table or us being able to participate in sports. And mm. man, she, she made so many sacrifices for us. And I lived in a middle-class situation. I never like went without. Uh, I lived a pretty good life, man. Yeah. But when I look back at it, I think, gosh, how much further would I have been had I had a, a, like a strong male influence, like present and available and teaching me and guiding me and disciplining me. And that's the kind of man that I want to be. So I take mm. the, the, the problems with my childhood, which are insignificant to what millions and millions of young boys and girls experience on a daily basis. And I use it as fuel to become the best man that I'm capable of becoming. So when I look into my son's and my daughter's eyes, I think, okay, here's the kind of man they need me to be. And I do everything I can to try to be that man. Man, there's a lot there, man. Firstly, firstly, my, my condolences on the loss of your father. That's very, thank you. That's very um, emotional. That's very, that's very touching. I mean, it's hard. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. I mean, what something I really admire is 
there are a lot of people who use situations like that and having those sort of personal histories and problems with a parent or both parents or th things not being perfect, right? A lot of people take those, a, a lot of people take that and they, they create a permanent victimhood mindset for themselves and for their entire lives. And it becomes, it becomes a, it becomes an excuse, right? It becomes no, any shortfall, any thing that they do wrong, everything, it always gets traced mm. back to my father wasn't there though. You know, it's uh oh, but my family was poor, right? There was right, no, right. You know, and it's like, and I kind of feel weird saying this because, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed in that, you know, my, my parents have stayed together. I'm from a close family. Mm -hmm. I haven't gone through certain personal struggles economically, socially, et cetera, that I know lots of people have. But at the same time, I'm someone who very firmly believes in personal responsibility and accountability and looking towards the future. Because look, the past, the past is always immutable. You know, the past mm -hmm. can help to explain certain things. It can help to explain how we got here, but you can never, you can never change it, right? It's just, it's, it, it's there. It's immutable. You can address it. You can talk about it. You can learn from it, but it's like, you've got, you've got two options. You can take the fact that you had these issues that this can go for any problem, right? It doesn't even have to be familial stuff, right? Anything bad that happens to you, you can use that for the rest of your life as an excuse mm -hmm. to why you're behaving badly and why you're not achieving and why you're lashing out at other people and why you're not successful, et cetera. Or you can do what you've done and what you're in the process of doing and saying, okay, this was not, this was not ideal, but there are things I've learned. There are things I've learned to do. There are things I've learned not to do. I'm now a father myself. I know the example I want, I want to set. I know what I want to build, the legacy I want to create. And I've seen a lot of people use that as like a fuel, right? There are people who have had by measurable terms, a relatively, you know, great, comfortable childhood, but they, they, they become screw ups. I mean, I went to school, right. with, yeah. I went to school with a lot of these people, right? And <laughs> for they, sure. yeah, you know, and they, they become screw ups and it's like, well, you, you did kind of have everything lined up, but they never, they never gained that, that grit, that ability to overcome challenge. The idea yeah. that you can, you know, if you spoil a child too much, then they just become very entitled and they just think that they don't have to put in any work. They just deserve things. The world owes them stuff. They can be cruel to people. They can be whatever. And there's no repercussions. Right. So I do admire yourself and anybody who's like, nah, screw that. I'm not going to let that totally define me for the rest of my life. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to build something. I'm going to be successful. And I think what you're doing is, is awesome in that regard. Well, then, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. It hasn't always been that attitude. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember in high school where I, I remember vividly a teacher called me out. I was in eighth grade and she's like, why do you have that chip on your shoulder? Mm. Like, what's up with that chip on your shoulder? I remember vividly her asking me that. Why are you always so angry? And I, and, and this was in eighth grade, man. So I was like, so what was I 13 years old? And mm. I was like, yeah, I don't, I actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so angry. And, yeah. and I remember wanting to fight and, and wanting to be a in school. And, you know, I, I think ultimately it's a level of immaturity, mm. right? Like I look at my, I look at my kids, for example. So I've got four kids. I've got a 12 year old, a nine year old, a six year old, and a four year old. And when I see them deal with issues, it's, it's not mature, right? Mm. So they, so they blame their siblings or they blame this or they blame that. And when they don't get what they want, they throw a tenter, temper tantrum. My four year old will quite literally throw himself on the ground and bang on the floor and cry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we laugh it off because we expect that from a four-year-old. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are grown men and women who do the same thing today. Mm, you know, they, they're right doing now. it on Twitter, mm -hmm. right? Or, or they're, they're rioting and they're looting and, and they're being completely immature. Mm -hmm. and, and I've been in that situation. But at some point, regardless of your, your situation and your outcome and, and what you dealt with, at some point you have to mature and say, okay, I had a crappy hand dealt and I'm not going to deny that. Like people talk about, for example, white privilege is a thing I hear a lot about. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're just talking about white privilege. Yeah, I'm privileged, man. I grew up in the U S my mm -hmm. mom loved me. 
we never had to struggle for food or a roof over our head. I, I'm semi-intelligent. Like mm-hmm. I'm privileged in that way. Those things are beyond my control. I was blessed with those things. What would you have me do? Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm going to use those to my advantage and to help other people. Mm-hmm. Man, at some point though, we just have to grow up and realize that it's, it, it, it's nobody else's fault. Like my, my, my story is my story. Mm-hmm. And I can only use that for so long before I come to the conclusion that, okay, well, I'm, a, I'm an adult now. Yeah. So I get to reprogram the things in my mind. I get to do things in my life, take actions or, or lack thereof based on what I think is right. And I can't blame my dad or I can't blame my mom or I can't blame my upbringing or I can't blame anything and everything. I, all I can look at now is, you know, I'm a sovereign man, right? Like yeah. this, it's my mind, you yeah. know, like some of that's been programmed and some of it I've allowed myself to, for it to continue to program me and others. I'm like, no, I gotta, I have to re, re, rewrite that programming. That mm-hmm. programming is not serving me like eating all of the food and not exercising and not dieting and not doing the things I need to do to take care of my body is no longer serving me. I have to rewire that. It's not about my big bones. It's about my <laughs> lack of discipline. Yeah. Right. And I've got to reprogram that. And at some point, every adult with a conscious brain, I, I mean, the only thing I would exclude is some sort of mental illness or some mm-hmm. sort of mental incapacity. Every, every adult has the opportunity to rewire the six inches between their ears. Yeah. So how come you reach that stage and some people don't? Because it seems like we clearly are seeing that that is the case. It seems like, you know, there are people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, who to this day, it's like they never, that thing that clicked for you, it it never clicked for them. And to this day, they're still behaving in this very infantile way. I mean, you see it and you see it really clearly now, especially with social media. No doubt. And it is kind of, on one hand, it's kind of funny sometimes, but on the other hand, it can be a little bit sad. I'm looking at people who I'm supposed to be, you know, very decades my senior. Who, who are supposed to be, you know, respectable. Some of them might even be public figures. And, so, and I'm just right. kind of like, man, like what's, what's going on here? How can you still have this mentality? I just find it bizarre. Yeah. I, you know, I think it comes down to the people you surround yourself with. Like mm-hmm. we have, we have enablers in our lives and we have those who truly care about us. And what's fascinating about this is it's, it's very difficult to accept the fact that maybe somebody who cares about you might actually make you feel crappy about yourself mm. temporarily. Mm. Right. Like I, I remember vividly when I was in high school, I had this coach and I remember, I don't know why I remember this, but it sticks out for some reason. I did something to my finger. I was playing football and I did something to finger, either I jammed it or I smashed it or something. Looking back, it was insignificant. It was stupid. It was mm. just a little minor thing on my finger. And I told him, Hey coach, I got to sit out for a minute. And he looks at me and he says, there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. Mm -hmm. Which one are you? (laughs) And I said, oh, it hurts. He's like, then get your ass back in the football game. (laughs) And it's people like that, like that, him at that point, I didn't feel good about myself Mm. because I was like, oh, I'm being a, I'm being a a wimp, right? I'm being a punk right now. And he called me on it. It's the people who won't call you on it mm-hmm. that are actually enabling poor performance, underperformance, and your BS excuses yep. that you've been living with and incorporating in your life to produce inferior results. I want people who care about me. Look, there's never, there's never a point in life where you're going to deal with people who you're, you're not going to have a lack of criticism, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people that genuinely care about you who are willing to call you to task, to take you to task and say, no, you're being a punk right now. <laughs> you're, not, you're not being real with yourself about what you're really dealing with. Yeah. And we spend inordinate amount of time surrounding ourselves with people who make us comfortable. Mm-hmm. We do it on social media. We do it in real life. And anytime anybody threatens our own perception of life, we shun them, we reject them, we block them, we remove them, we disengage, we don't allow them into our circle. And some of that is warranted, right? I get that. Yeah. But I'm saying there's people who, who genuinely care about you. Like, for example, I consider my job as a father to render myself obsolete. Like, that's my job. That is my only job. Mm. 
to put myself out of work. And if all I was worried about is making my kids feel good about their decisions, that would be the antithesis of what my job is. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I have to go to bed at night knowing that my son feels like crap. And that doesn't make me feel good, but it is in alignment with my goal, which is to render myself obsolete. And um, we need to surround ourselves with the people who are going to challenge us in Mm -hmm. positive and healthy ways to get us to do things that normally we wouldn't do on our own. That's the level of maturity I'm talking about. Are you hurt or are you injured? Yes. Know the difference. Get your butt back in the game if you need to. Mm. So why is modern Western society, it seems like it's just getting very soft in many regards, like from whether you're talking about from the physical to the mental to the spiritual, like on, on every level, it's like people are just becoming very soft. I think a big factor is just, you know, decades and decades of comfort and freedom from the yeah. four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, no, no, no war, no pestilence, no famine, et cetera, that people have just right. become sedentary, mentally, physically, emotionally, you know, people are just, you know, people aren't really totally maturing in a sense, and people are not facing that natural level of adversity, that battle against nature that most people around the world still, and most people historically, I mean, the story of humans is basically like fighting against nature for survival. Mm -hmm. And we've finally reached a stage and a time and a place where most people, very few people, need to struggle against nature, right? We're not outgrowing our own crops and having to hunt and having to fend off predators and constantly going to war, et cetera, which is great in many ways. You know, it's weird. It's like, yeah, it's weird. It's like, that's what makes the modern West so great. But at the same time, it's just led to so much. It's just so, you know, people are so soft. People are so emotionally incontinent. And it's just like, there's no standards. You just enable everything right? Whether if someone wants to be obese, you shouldn't tell them that that's bad for them because you're fat shaming them and you should be body positive and you can be healthy at any size. So people are now angry at the person who is saying, no, like this is not healthy. Like you become the villain. If you suggest that there's a a good way to uh, raise your children or there's a good way to be in a marriage or just in a relationship in general, or you're trying to inspire people to get fit or to earn money or to take personal responsibility, you become the villain. This is the weirdest mm-hmm. thing. It's like, why are you attacking this person, right? Why are you attacking the Jordan Petersons of the world? Why are you attacking you? Why are you attacking me? Why are you attacking the people who are trying to uh, literally, like legitimately trying to help people? If you want to, if you want to be mad at someone, there's plenty of people. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> there's there's, there's legitimate reasons to be, to be mad. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> right. the bizarre thing. I'm right. just like, what's going, what's been going on here? Yeah. Um, uh, well, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. I'll break it down into, into two things that I okay. see. All right. Number one, you are absolutely right when you say modern times has presented us with wonderful opportunities to not suffer. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so in Maine, where I'm at right now, it's, I think it's 90 degrees right now. It's 80% humidity or whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, it's so hot and miserable. And yet it's really not like yeah. in the grand scheme of things, like, <laughs> I think I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I've got like some pit stains or whatever, but like outside of that, I think life's going to be okay. Right. So we've created this opportunity in, in life where we don't have to struggle, which is beautiful in a lot of ways. Uh, My friend, Jack Donovan says, because he talks a lot about masculinity and Mm -hmm. and this applies to women as well, but he says, you have to choose to be a man. Mm A hundred years ago, you didn't, you didn't have to choose. Like you had to be a man. Yes. You had to go out in the, into the field and, and toil and sweat and bleed and struggle mm-hmm. to live, yes. right? To be alive. Now you don't. So you have to voluntarily decide whether or not you're going to be a man or a woman. Like you have to make that decision and you need to place yourself under voluntary hardship mm-hmm. because here's what people worry about now. So so in 2005, I went to Iraq. And when I came back from Ramadi, it was, it was very difficult for me to come back and see what people were worried about. They were worried about getting cut off on the side of the road, on, on the road. <laughs> they were worried about the 16-year-old kid, kid, who got their mocha frappuccino flavor. I'm like, what the hell are you worried about? Like, that's what you're worried about? Like, we need to, in in modern society, we need to make up things to be worried about. Mm -hmm. 
which is great because we don't have like <laughs> real issues to worry about. But yeah. also it's a trap in that if we're not willing to place ourselves under voluntary hardship, then we're going to become weak and we're going to become soft and we're going to become pathetic and we're going to worry about things that don't really matter. Now, that yeah. being said, race, I'm not talking about racism, all right? Those things matter. I'm not talking about horrible injustices like George Floyd being killed on the side of the road while people were videotaping this by somebody that we've granted authority to represent us mm -hmm. and keep us safe as a community. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm. That stuff is tragic. But I think you're 100% right in that everybody I've talked to can look at that situation and say, that's horrific. Yeah. That's tragic. Mm-hmm. That should we're all we're all on the same page here. Yes, yes. Like, wh what are we fighting about? Like, yeah. this man needs to be brought to justice. Mm -hmm. You know, it needs to be done in a responsible way, but he needs to be brought to justice. Uh, we need to mourn. We need to. We we should be upset about mm -hmm. the situation that went down. You know, but we don't need to be pitted against each other. And I think the yeah. media has a vested interest in making sure. Zuby, frankly, let's talk about it this way. I think the media has a vested interest. And sure that you and I don't get along. Mm, agreed. Because you're black and I'm white. Agreed. Yeah. Right. And and that's the problem is like, and it's, it's so bad that I'm not even supposed to acknowledge that you're black or mm. that I'm white or that we're different in some visible way. Like it, that's, that's, what's crazy. Mm. We can't even acknowledge it. Right. <laughs> and so we've been pitted against each other. Mm. And, and I, and I think you made a post, uh, on Twitter the other day and you said, you know, there's. There's 5% of the people who are, who are a-holes, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, who, are, yeah. who are creating this problem. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm just paraphrasing here. Yeah, yeah. And then 95% of us are all like pretty much on the same page. And we're letting that 5% become the narrative. And mm -hmm. it really isn't the narrative, man. Yeah. That's not really what it's about. But no, yet we've bought into the idea that that 5% represents mm -hmm. the whole. And frankly, it doesn't. And I'm not saying that 5% is justifiable. It mm -hmm. isn't. It's horrific. It's tragic. Yeah. It's disgusting. You know, you know, specifically when I was saying that 5% is, I think so, there are a couple of people who sort of mistook that tweet. I think some people were saying, I think 5% of people are racist, which, you know, that could be the case, but that wasn't even Maybe, specific. Right. That wasn't even specifically what I was saying. I wasn't even specifically talking about people being racist. I was talking about people who enjoy the division or profit from the division mm. in some way, shape or form. So you already mentioned the media. Okay. So the media, we know if it bleeds, it leads, right? People need fear, people need anger, people want outrage. So any angle that they can scoop, which will, you know, they're, they're enjoying these, the, this whole situation happening, the, the, these riots, these fires burning, this is great for the media, right? And then you've got, you know, all the people in academia, you have the like, professional race hustlers who, and activists who, you know, every time something happens, they get on TV and they talk about this and they get funding and all that. It's like, look, think about it. If, if racism and racialism ceased to exist in the USA, who would lose their jobs? Who would suffer from this, right? There are thousands of people who would actually suffer from that. So they need to make sure that whether it is real or it's perceived, it needs to stay alive, right? It's, let's right. Say it's the same thing, you know, modern day feminism, modern day Western feminism is an industry. It's an industry. You can write books, you can become a public speaker, you can be an academic, whatever, right? You, by just being this feminist it's an identity, right? It, it, mm -hmm. You can, you can, there's a whole market for it. So if they were to admit that the wage gap doesn't exist, right? If they were to admit that the West isn't some horrible, oppressive patriarchy where women are being dot, right? Like the job of feminism has mostly already been done, right? This is not to say there are not individual mm -hmm. instances that still need to be changed, but under the law, I'm like, okay, show me the law that I can show you some laws of things that like women can do that men can't, but I can't show you very much the other way around apart from maybe be topless in public. That's, that's the only thing I can, I can sort of, <laughs> I can sort of think of. Yeah. And yeah, but true. they point. need to keep, they need to keep <laughs> that narrative alive. Cause if, if it goes, if people are like, okay, you know what? Like we're done here. We've got the equality. Then all of these people go out of business. All of the blogs, all of these websites, all of these news people who yeah. like to just talk about this and constantly be stoking these divisive narratives they're, they're all done for. So I think to me, that's the problem. I look at everything based on incentives, you know, human beings run on incentives. So if people are incentivized right. to lie, they will lie. If people are incentivized to be divisive, then they will be divisive.
Well, you know, it's funny because you look at social media and you are, like you said, incentivized, you're rewarded for being outraged. Yes. Right. So the more outrage you have, the more reward in the form of likes and shares and mm-hmm. comments and notoriety mm-hmm. that you get. Um, it's hard because, and I've fallen prey to this too, is like, you know, you try to sensationalize things because you're going to get the acknowledgement. Um, but I heard a, I had a mentor of mine once tell me, and this is when I was in my financial planning practice years ago. And he said, this is so, this is so relevant today. He says, never take advice from people who have a vested interest in you maintaining the status quo, Mm. right? Because if you're asking that individual, they have a conflict of interest. If you're asking that individual who has a vested interest in you maintaining things the way you are. And so he was talking about it in the context of leaving your employment. Mm. If I went to, and and I'm self-employed at this point, but when I wasn't, if I went to my employer and I said, Hey, do you think I should branch out on my own? What do you think he's going to say? (laughs) Yeah, of course, of course he's going to say it's scary. It's dangerous. Yes. There's a lot of risk. It's expensive. You, you could fail. Mm-hmm. And all of it might sound legitimate, but mm-hmm. at the root of everything that that individual says is a deeply seated conflict of interest. That individual, as long as I'm a good employee, yeah. doesn't want me to leave. He wants me to stay. So of course, Anything that he says is going to be tainted. Mm-hmm. And, and the interesting thing is he might not actually be wrong. There is risk. It is dangerous. There is a potential of me failing. And, and that inherent potential truth is what makes it sound right. But it's mm-hmm. the conflict that should, that, that should throw up a bunch of red flags for you. Maybe I shouldn't ask this person for advice. Maybe I shouldn't turn to the media for all of my information because it's more about entertainment and it's more about pitting you and I against each other than it is about informing us. And if we're incentivized to inform, then that's a place I would go. But if we're incentivized to bicker and to fight and to moan, then, you know, that that's naturally what's going to, what's going to occur. So I think we really need to be aware of what is the motive. I think about it in my business. Look, I'm, I'm a marketer. I'm a salesman. I have mm-hmm. products and programs and, and merchandise and things for sale, yes. things that people can buy from me. But I don't shy away from the fact that people should question that. Like they should know that, look, I'm biased. When mm-hmm. I tell you that our exclusive brotherhood, for example, provides all these benefits, I think that any rational human being should ask, is his objective mm-hmm in this case, to make money Mm -hmm. in alignment with my objective to improve myself as a man. As long as those incentives are in alignment, I think Mm -hmm. we can do business together. Yeah. It's when they're, they're conflicting or they're not in alignment that we ought to be aware of what's going on and really question, is this something that we should take into consideration or completely reject and be repulsed by? Most definitely, man. So I'm curious, I want to, I want to learn a little bit about you, you know, regarding fatherhood as a, a father of four. I am uh, yeah. currently a father of zero, but future father of four. So awesome. <laughs> awesome. I love um, it, man. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. So let's talk a little bit about that aspect of, of masculinity and fatherhood and, you know, being a husband, et cetera, because I, there aren't really a lot of conversations about it. I don't think, you know, when men get together and talk about man stuff, I think, you know, it tends to drift off into sort of other things that are a bit more sort of philosophical or, or technical, but we sure. kind of, we kind yeah. of shy away from that stuff. So you, your oldest uh, kid is 12, you said? 12, right. 12. And you got what, three boys, one girl or? Correct. Okay. Okay. So like, tell us, I mean, what, what, what have you learned in this, uh, in this 12 plus year journey so far going from when you were a, a, a single man to now, that's that's a big transition, right? That's going from being, I'm at the stage right now where I just need to look after Zuby, right? I just need to look right. after myself. Right. I don't have any dependents, you know. I have family, etc. But you know, they they're independent. They take care of themselves, whatever. So, I whereas and so you've been in that stage, and you're now at a stage where you have some responsibility for not just yourself, but for five other people, right? So six people right. in total, and. Oh, yeah. I mean, how's that transition been and what have you learned? I mean, look, let me tell you this first and foremost. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Man, it's like I 
I feel like at the stage I'm at right now, which is 39 years old with four kids and a wife and a house and all the other things that, that we have and that we're blessed with, I just feel like I'm finally at 39 years old. I wish it wouldn't have taken this long, but it has. That like I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am. I'm comfortable with where I am. I'm not content. Like I'm mm-hmm. not saying that, right? Or I'm not complacent. Yes. I, I want to grow and I want to expand and I want to evolve, but I'm really satisfied and really fulfilled with where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a big component of being a man is, is fatherhood. And by the way, I'm not even talking about biological fatherhood. I'm talking about being an elder, being a mm-hmm. patriarch. I know that's a swear word in, in modern times, <laughs> but like, look, our job is to take the information that we have as men that we've learned and that we've acquired and that we've bled and sweat over and then pass it on. And, and this life is about making it bigger than ourselves. And I can't think of a better situation, a better opportunity than that of a father to be able to make life about something more than just you. Mm-hmm. And to be able to think about, okay, well, what do these kids need? And, and, and what are their own little personalities? You know, I look at my 12 year old who's, who's very tender. He's a tender young man. He's, He's, he's empathetic in a lot of ways, even more so than I ever was. Mm -hmm. And then I look at my, my youngest, my four-year-old and you know, you, you play with him and roll with him. Like I I wrestle with him on the mats and he will scratch you. Like he'll just grab (laughs) you and just scratch you as hard as you can. I'm like, Whoa, dude, like, where's this coming from? (laughs) And I see that passion and that energy and that like, just will to fight in him that I don't see as much in my other kids. Mm. And I think they have all their own little personalities and it's a challenge for me and it's a challenge for them. And how do I take my four-year-old who has this versus my 12-year-old who has this and help them harness their own unique talents and abilities and gifts? And man, I, I try to do a good job. I know I fall short every single day, but I just feel so enriched mm-hmm. and enriched is the right word, but enriched because I have five human beings relying upon me, my four kids and my wife, to some extent, Mm -hmm. some more than others, my four-year-old for sure, more than my wife, for example, (laughs) to to be able to provide and to lead effectively and to honor them and to respect them and to guide them and coach and mentor. And I I feel like there is no better opportunity than fatherhood. And again, I'm not talking about even biological. Like if you have an opportunity to coach young kids or do a big brothers, big sisters program or a nephew or a niece or, Mm -hmm. or somebody in your neighborhood um, that needs some fathering that needs a patriarch in their life. Like what a powerful opportunity for you and for them to be able to step up and to serve and to leave a legacy and to think bigger than yourself. This yeah. is an amazing time in my life. I'm so, I'm so blessed. I'm so grateful that I'm, that I'm in this situation right now. I'm happy to hear that, man. I'm happy to hear that because, you know, it's, um, I mean, like within my own family. So I, I come from a big family. I've got nine nieces and nephews myself. So I'm kind of mm. like, you know, super uncle. It's awesome, man. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's so within my own family and, you know, some other people I know, it's like when it comes to both marriage and parenthood. There are some people who really sort of, you know, I've already decided I know I'm going to do both, right? But there are some people who sort of sell it very well, right? They tell their story, they talk about stuff, and it makes me feel like, yeah, like that sounds awesome. And then also, (laughs) and then on the flip side, you know, you got people, there there are a lot of people, I'm just kind of like, you are really not selling me on this on this idea, even if it's just, even if it's just marriage, right. You know, there are some people, right. Right. You know, and I'm just kind of like, dude, like this, there are some men, it's like they get married or they become a father and it's like their soul just leaves them, you know, (laughs) everything just becomes miserable and drudgery. And yeah, yeah. but that's their fault, man. Like that's their fault. That isn't their wife. You know, Mm. I know there's this like common trend among like this idea of men going their own way or the incel movement, which I'm sure you're somewhat familiar with where it's like all women are evil and they're, and they're out to get you and they're, they'll suck your soul. Like, no bro, that's your fault. Mm. Like if you can't be an independent man, like I'm an independent man. My wife is an independent woman. Mm -hmm. We voluntarily decided to join in a union because I realized that even though I'm independent, I'm fully capable myself and she's fully capable herself. We're better together. Yeah. Like we voluntarily decided that my wife 
She brings some skills to the table and some talents and some some personality to the table that I cannot possibly bring myself. And I mm-hmm. bring the same thing to her. And look, I'll tell you, we we argue, yeah. right? We debate. We we get each other's faces at times. And she's stubborn, <laughs> and I'm stubborn. And sometimes it's like, yeah. man, we don't jive at all. <laughs> but that helps me. Like that's a mirror. Like when she comes to me and says, nope, here's the way it is. It's like a mirror for me to say, oh man, let me look back at myself and figure out where I'm falling short. And as long as I'm humble enough to say, maybe she's not wrong. Maybe I am. And maybe she's bringing something to the equation that I could not have presented myself. I'm a better man for it. So if Mm -hmm. a guy says, oh yeah, she sucked my soul because you allowed it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And if a woman says, well, he just drained me and he like he was emotionally abusive and all these other things. Mm. Look, I'm not condoning that behavior, but you allowed it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't think highly enough of yourself or you didn't take care of yourself enough to be able to remove yourself from that situation. I'm not condoning the behavior. Yeah. I'm just saying personal accountability, and responsibility. So, look, I, I sit on both sides of the table. It is <laughs> rough. Zuby, it is rough. Like being a father, like staying up in the at the in the middle of the night and wondering. <laughs> you know, we moved here exactly one year ago from Southern Utah, and people tell me all the time. They say, "Oh man, I could never do that, and we would like to do that, but we have a job and we have this and we have that." Dude, don't you think I have that stuff? <laughs> I ripped my children away from their friends. Yeah. I took my wife away from. We lived in the house that her grandfather built. Okay. Her parents were married at that home. Her brother was married at that home. My wife and I were literally married at that home. Mm. And I pulled her away from that to pursue this unknown adventure. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you think I had to take some risks too? Like I, I had to explore and, 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 and take these risks upon myself. And when I think about what my children experience, you know, I see my son, he'll cry himself to sleep some nights because he's not around his friends. Yeah. Dude, that hurts me, man. That hurts. Like, I don't want to experience that. What was the, but what was the reason for that's the, move? the pain, but that's also the adventure. Okay. You know, I, like, I, I can't tell you that there was this one reason where we said, let's go there and let's do that thing. We knew seven people in Maine. Okay. And and my wife and I would always want to kind of live an adventure and, and try something new. And I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work. We've been mm-hmm. here for exactly a year. We told ourselves ourselves we'd give us our, us two years, and then we'd make decisions from there. And maybe we'll stay. Maybe we'll move back. Maybe we'll yeah. move somewhere else. But I never want to look back on my life and think, you know, my wife at what my wife and I at sixty years old, for example, and say, mm-hmm. hey, hon, you know, remember that one time we were going to do that one thing and okay, we didn't because you. we were scared. Yeah, <laughs> like I never want to be that guy. I get you. Worst case scenario is we get out here, we hate it. Mm-hmm. Very cold winter. And then we move back home and, you know, we have, have some experiences under our belt. So that's why we moved out here. And so far it's, it's pros and cons, right? Like yeah, some things have been wonderful. Other things have been a real challenge, but you know, this is this life. Is life. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. what, are, what are some of the biggest, yeah. what are some of the biggest lessons that you've, that you've learned since you became a father? What are some things that you could not have sort of easily foreseen. You know, I think there are some things that seem somewhat predictable, but I'm sure there's stuff that you never even thought about until that time sort of came. What are some things along those lines? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sacrifice is huge, right? And sacrifice is a really interesting word too. I thought about that because you think sacrifice, you're giving something up. But my question to myself has been, is it really a sacrifice if what you get in return is so much greater than the thing that you sacrificed? Mm-hmm. Right? Because I've sacrificed my own self-interest. I've sacrificed my own time, mm-hmm. money, mm-hmm. things that I wanted to personally pursue. But the things that I got back in return were so much greater than anything I gave up. So yeah. I don't know that that's even a sacrifice. I actually look at it more of, of an investment. Mm. Like if you think about a financial investment, if I, if I was going to invest $1,000 into something like Bitcoin, because yes. I know you were talking about Bitcoin earlier, right? <laughs> yeah. So if I was going to invest $1,000 into Bitcoin, that means I couldn't take that $1,000 and spend it on whatever it is I wanted to spend it on. Yeah. But I do that because I'm anticipating that in six months, I'll have $1,500 that I can then use to buy whatever it is I want. Mm-hmm. That's what it's been for fatherhood for me is, is it's an investment. So yeah. yeah, I've had to give up a lot of my own personal uh, goals, I guess you'd say. And, 
and, and, and things that I wanted to pursue, but man, like, look at all these other things that I got back in return. What a powerful investment. Uh, but then there's also accountability. And this is one thing I just did not expect is that, you know, when I look at my kids, they're, they're looking at me and they're saying, okay, well, how's dad behaving? Like what's mm-hmm. dad doing when dad's upset? I remember one time I went into this cause I was getting into archery. This was several years ago and I was getting into archery and I went to this bow shop in town and I had bought a bow somewhere else. And I walked into this bow shop and I was with my oldest son. He must've been nine, 10, maybe at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hey, you know, I bought this bow at this other place and uh, in, in Northern Utah and I wanted to bring it here to you. And can you help me get this thing dialed in? And the guy was such a jerk he was, I have never been treated like that in a store really? that I wanted to spend money in. He was such a jerk. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I don't want to do work for other companies. You should have bought it here. And I'm not going to do work for some, a bow that you bought somewhere else. Like just a complete a-hole. Yeah. And I was like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, I'm dead serious. I'm like, all right, well, I'll take my business elsewhere. And so yeah. we left. And I remember, you know, looking at my son and I'm like, what did you think about that? He's like, man, that I felt bad. Hmm. And I said, yeah, so did I. Like, why? And we walked through it and we talked through it a little bit. And I realized at that moment, like how impressionable they are yeah, and how important it is that I show up. Like I'm a better man because I have kids because I have to be, You because be, yeah. when they look at me and I'm going to make a decision to act with integrity and do my workouts and eat correctly and honor their mother or... I could be a jerk and not eat correctly and not do my workouts and not wake up when I say I'm going and not do my work. They're going to see that. Like mm-hmm. if it's only self accountability, it's inferior. I think to seeing my kids who are like, what's dad going to do? Yeah. I'm watching you, dad. Yeah. I'm watching you. What are you going to do? And I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah. Yeah. He's watching me. So I better be better. So that accountability is something I didn't expect, but that built-in level of accountability has helped me become a significantly better man than had I done it on my own. I hear that, man. Well, the term is role model. And I think people hear the term role model so much that they don't really decipher the word. You know what mm. I mean? They don't, they, they yeah, just yeah, yeah. hear role model almost as in one word, but it's like, no, like think about what that means. You are constantly yeah modeling modeling behavior you children are little sponges whatever it is even the language that you use the words you say the way you behave your mannerisms they will suck that up without you even knowing that they are paying attention right Mm -hmm. when you hear a little four-year-old cussing you know what happened there, right? Like, you know, and we always what, ask, where did you learn that from, mom or dad? Yeah, you, you know what happened there. And I hope they there. say, mom. Yeah, it's like, you, you know what happened there, you know? Um, yep. And it, it's kind of, it's just kind of crazy, or they'll just say a certain phrase or word. You're like, where on earth did you get that from? And it's like, okay, yeah. they picked that up from yeah. somewhere. So, yeah, it's, um, it's super important. I mean, I, I get asked a lot of times, even in um, interviews and stuff, and People ask me, you know, oh, who's your who's your role model? I think people expect me to say some some rapper or like some famous person or whatever. I'm like, my parents, <laughs> you know. Mm, <laughs> like, and yeah. in a in a perfect world, that should be the answer. I understand that it's not for everybody, which is which is unfortunate. But if you've got a son, if you've got a daughter, like that, you should be you should be the name that they say, right? They can have other role mm. models out, outside of that. But if you've raised, like, of course, you know, the man who raised me, the woman who raised me, those are, those are my role models. Like, that's what, right? like, if I want to see how, how do I behave as a man, I'll okay, like, look at what my dad has done and what he's still doing and the sacrifices he's made and his behavior and everything like that. Then, yeah, I th- and I think a big problem that's been happening in society, I don't, I don't think, I know, I think the biggest problem in, in society is, is absence of good male role models absence uh, absent mm-hmm. fathers right you know the whole the whole so many children growing up without their their dad's present for all of these different reasons and you can see in communities where that's very common you can see the effects it's almost like in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s they, they sort of ran these experiments whether on purpose or by accident and they kind of maybe arrogantly thought oh you know the family unit isn't as isn't maybe the family unit's not that important right maybe we can mm-hmm. atomize all this thing and go totally individual and have you know declining marriage and just everyone have kids outside of wedlock and whatever and this is fine it's going to be okay 
And then decades down the line, we are now very clearly seeing what's happened to entire generations where a large percentage of people haven't had, clearly have not had these male role models, even if not from their own father, like you were saying, from another male in society, especially boys, because they're going to seek that from somewhere, right? They're going to seek it from somewhere. Gang leaders know this, right? If you have gangs, Mm -hmm. if you have people, Mm -hmm. they know this, right? Who do they target? Oh, let's find, you know, 12 to 18 year old boys whose fathers are not around and they're just kind of lingering around. They're looking for a role model, et cetera. And we can bring them in and kind of be their family. This is, this is the pattern all over the world. And it's like this big elephant in the room that people don't want to tackle because they'll say that you're, uh, oh, you're being mean to single mothers or you're, you know, the, the idea, again, comes back to that, that thing of having standards. Okay. If I come out on TV and I say that it's better to have a mom and a dad than to have just a mom or just a dad, I'm going to get hate mail, right? I'm saying, I'm saying one right. of the most obvious things in the world, even if like, it's simply a math equation that two is greater than one, right? Like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to catch heat for saying the, the obvious thing, which we know if, if you like stats, We've got stats. <laughs> you can pull out the stats. Right, it's you there. can have all anecdotes. day long. Yeah, you can even talk to someone, right? Speak to someone. You yourself said at the very beginning of the show, speak to someone who's, who their mother or their father was not present in their life, you know, for whatever reason, some very legitimate reasons, et cetera. Ask them, would you, on it, being honest, would you have preferred it if your father was around? Of course they will say yes. Of course. Of, of, course, of, course. of course they would. So that in right. itself, proves the point. It's just like, well, we, we know this, we've established it. So this denigration of men or masculinity or fatherhood or society, this whole thing about, you know, men just being sort of not, you know, not necessary or expendable, or we don't need masculinity or masculinity is toxic and, you know, just freeze your eggs and get a sperm donor and just go the whole Mm -hmm. thing. I'm, this is one of my biggest criticisms of Western society right? Like I'm originally Nigerian, right? I, I'm, I'm Nigerian. You know, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. So in that sense, in terms of like the family and culture and stuff like that, like I'm pretty conservative as people say here, right? Sure. Like I believe right. in right. the family unit and this is what society needs to be based on. I'm all for individuals and individual rights, but we are not atoms that are just kind of floating around, which can just live and exist by ourselves. I think we've learned this with the lockdown. Um, so we do need the the wider unit because without that, I mean, wh- why is mental why is mental health such a big problem now, right? Like, wh- why is why is that such a big problem? What's going on with certain issues? It's like, come on, like let's look at the root of this. Let's not just say, okay, what's the best drug to take? What is the best? Thing? It's like, what's going on in society right, on a fundamental issue? fundamental level? Why are people so lonely? Why are people feeling like they don't have support? They don't have goals. They don't have motivation. They don't have purpose. All of these things. It's like, come on, like. Let's go to the root of this. And I do believe the root of a lot of it is, you know, just absence of people want to talk about toxic masculinity. I think absence of masculinity is oh, much rough, is, brutal. That's, that's the problem. Right. That, that, that is the problem. It's absence of that guidance. You know, I'm reading your hat right now. Protect, provide, preside. That's what society needs on, on a small scale, on an individual unit level on a community level, on a national level, that's what makes a society healthy. You know, like it's great having technology and being able to do all of these cool things. But if we lose that aspect of humanity and community, you know, that's when government becomes God, right? Everyone just, oh, the government, the government, the government. It's yeah. like, wait, what about your family? What about your church? What about your what about community? your dad, your mom? Yeah, yeah exactly. your mom, your dad, you're, you're, you're you know, um, I mean, it's funny, like I grew up in, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. And, um, you know, Saudi is a place that people like to like to talk crap about, despite the fact they've never been there. I'll tell you what, though, there's no homeless people. Hmm. Right. There's no homeless people. Why are there no homeless people? They got families. How can you be homeless? Right. The idea would be weird to them. It's like, well, where's your family? Go, go live with your family. Right. How can you uh, just be how can you yeah. just have hundreds of thousands of people living on the street like like rats? You know, they'd be looking at somewhere like L.A. and San Francisco and they'd be like, oh, you're, you're the ones calling us. You're the one saying stuff about us. You're just letting tens of thousands of your own people lie there right. in their own in their own excrement, and you're calling us names. You see what I mean? I liked what you said about um, about rest homes. You're like, you know, everybody's worried about the rest homes and their parents going back to oh, these rest yeah. homes with COVID nineteen. Yeah. And you're like, where's your kids? Mm. 
And you actually sparked a conversation with my wife and I, because I okay. saw that post you had made. And I was like, you know, hon, if, if my mom or parents were, you know, incapacitated in some form and they needed help. And I said, what, what, what would you do about, you know, w- would we bring them here and let them live with us? Would, mm. would we have them in a home? And she said, you know, barring some like medical condition that we could not handle ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, she said, I would like to think that we would bring them here to live with us. And I said, well, yeah. I agree with that. You know, yeah. so I think you're exactly right. It's like the, f- the familiar unit is so crucial and it's something it is. that is being systematically dismantled in modern society. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, I knew some people wouldn't like that post because. Oh, of course. I know, you know, like, I know some stuff is, you know, it's going gonna, gonna to hit a nerve, but it hits a nerve. You can say be kind and there's people yeah. who aren't going to like what you have to say, <laughs> you know. But, but it also hits a nerve because I think fundamentally people know that it's true. You know, people do yeah. know that it's right. I understand with everything, there are exceptions, right? I understand that. Of course. Right? I generally believe, you know, that I, I know there are always exceptions to everything, but speaking broadly, it's like, look, if, you know, your, your parents raised you, right? You were saying earlier, you know, your mom's working all these jobs. She's done this for you. All these decades, decades and decades and decades of sacrifice. The idea that so many people are just like, oh yeah, you know, and sometimes they're not even far away. Like, you know, they're parent is in a, is in a home, like a couple hours away. Mm-hmm. And maybe they talk like they talk twice a year. It's like, Oh, when was the last time you saw your mom or your dad? I was like, yeah, it was like, you know, four years ago. And you're just kind of like, really? Come on, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. like, I get it. You know, if, if they did something super duper horrible to you and you have an, uh, you know, really terrible yeah, relationship, or, it's like, that's, that's an exception, but more broadly. I know it's funny because I was thinking about it. Um, you know, if I said, for example, like, Hey, I, I believe every child deserves to have a father in his home. Yeah. Right. Like I could say, like I could make a, a Twitter post, for example, mm-hmm, about that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd have a dozen or more people come back and say, <laughs> well, what if your father was yeah. physically abusive? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. obviously I'm not talking about you being in a dangerous situation. <laughs> like I don't need to qualify this. You're yeah. completely capable of discernment and understanding what it is I'm talking about here. Yeah. I, I think the problem is everybody thinks more highly of themselves than they should, mm. right? Like we think we're more special than we are. And I know this is counterintuitive and I know people are going to hear this and think, what are you talking about? You're not as special Zuby as you think you are and neither am I, <laughs> you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm going to be on this earth barring some sort of catastrophe or an illness for 70 to 80 years. And then I'm going to be ground into the dust of the earth (laughs) and nobody's going to remember me and it's okay. You know, my kids are going to remember me. Probably my wife hopefully will remember me. Hopefully my kids will talk about me in a positive way to their children. Mm -hmm. But other than that, nobody's going to remember me. And my opinion is irrelevant, frankly, in the grand scheme of things. And Mm -hmm. part of the problem with social media, as wonderful as it is, is that everybody thinks that their voice is equally important. It isn't. <laughs> your opinion is different than somebody else's opinion. And yeah. I've chosen to give you more value in your opinion because I respect you. Yeah. I like what you have to say. I think you're a level-headed guy. Even in things in disagreement, I'm like, oh, okay, let me consider this because yeah. you're respectable to me. Um, but like, we're just not as important as we think we are, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and the fact that everybody has a voice and that somehow we're all supposed to be equal could actually be the biggest problem that we're dealing with right now. Mm. You know, somebody that proposes some idiotic idea <laughs> that somehow I'm supposed to think that's just as valuable yeah. as you presenting a, 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 a logical, well thought out idea is yeah. ludicrous to me. That's true. It's ludicrous. <laughs> that's a very good point. Like, I haven't, yeah, that's a very good point. You know, it's like everyone has a voice, fortunately, but unfortunately, right. everybody exactly. has a voice and. Which means there's some personal responsibility you need to decipher. Okay. Is Zuby worth listening to? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is Ryan worth listening to? Or is he full of crap? And if he's full of crap, then tune me out. Don't listen to me. That's okay. It's all voluntary. Find somebody who's more relevant to you. Yeah. That's the one I find funny. Like a lot of people, especially on Twitter, act like they are forced to follow me. Right. Mm. I tell people to, I tell people to unfollow me all the time. I'm like, unfollow (laughs) me. And then most of the time they don't. I'm like, you know, uh, this guy's just trash takes, trash takes. I'm like, well, if you think... If you think there's nothing to learn from me and nothing to gain and no entertainment Move and no along. value, unfollow me. Like I didn't ask you Move to follow along. me. Like go. Like I won't notice. You know, just yeah. just keep it moving. And you're yeah. supposed to notice those. You're suppo- <laughs> those people are special. You're supposed to notice those people. 
Yeah, it's such a funny thing. It's such a double-edged sword. Like I do it love is, I do love social media. I love what we do. I love having the platform and connecting with people and everything, but yeah, there is also, especially as you grow, it's just like, oh my gosh, like I can I can't I, I can't I'm, imagine I'm what you do out. with. I'm still trying. I'm still <laughs> learning. I'm still like trying to and here's here's one of the weirdest things that I've noticed for me personally, especially in the last year cuz you know, my following his like 15 X or something. Yeah. And yeah. the the weirdest one is just understanding how much power I sort of wield on the platform. Yes. Right. I, Cause I've had things where I've done something which, you know, I, I was in the right, but then I've sort of felt bad. Like I have, I have got some people to delete their Twitter accounts, right? Not intentionally, mm. but they just got so hammered by my followers, et cetera, right? They said something stupid to me and I respond and 300 other people, not not because I told them to, but they just responded. And I was like, whoa, okay. I didn't mean to, you know, yeah. <laughs> like the dude said something effed up, but my goal wasn't to, you know, like take like this huge Right, you're not trying to dox them or anything. And, <laughs> sure. And, I'm, I'm, and I sort of realized that. So sometimes, especially because, you know, there are certain things people say, or especially if someone says something about me that's that's not true. You know, I hate it when people mm. lie or try to slander me, et cetera. There are times when I'm going to reply and I do delete it, you know, cause right. I'm like, I don't right. want to, I don't want to send like potentially thousands of people at this person, especially if I actually think they're mentally unstable, right? Like so there's people I'm like, I think this person's, yeah, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at their account and I'm kind of like, I don't think this person is, is all right in the head. So Mm. I'm going to kind of, you know, this is me trying to be humble, but almost like show mercy and just let that thing slide because I don't want to, I don't know what they're going through. Maybe they've, maybe they're going through some nonsense and they've just decided that, you know what, I'm just going to be mean to Zuby because he's got a big Twitter account or whatever. And he's, he's there and right. I, don't li- I don't like his right. logo. So I'm just going to, you know, so <laughs> Well, there's other things you need to, and, and you're learning this and I've learned this to some degree as well is like, some people are setting you up too, right? Like I had a guy, Mm -hmm. cause I had made a post about this George Floyd incident and you know, I was pretty, I felt like I was pretty level-headed in my approach. I didn't really go down the whole racism issue because Mm -hmm. look, man, I honestly don't know if that individual was racist or not. I don't know. It's mind reading. I, I, I don't know. And this, and this gentleman posted back and he's like, well, don't you think this is a systemic issue? And don't you think that he was being racist? And, and I was about to write back and I was typing something up and I'm like, no, I don't think so, man. Like this feels like a trap. (laughs) And I didn't type anything back and somebody else jumped in Mm -hmm. and then he ran with it. I'm like, that's the trap I almost stepped into (laughs) and I knew better. And then this, look, I don't always do it, but in this situation, I showed some level of restraint and it served me well. You know, I think there's another problem here too. And and that is that we as a society collectively, I think have done, have attempted to remove consequences of poor choices. Mm -hmm. And, and because we've done that in other contexts from competitive sports leagues to bad grades, to jobs and to all these other contexts that we're talking about, we don't realize, look, you've got a, you've got a heavy responsibility because when you say something, and I think about this with Joe Rogan, for example, Mm -hmm. I know you've been on Rogan's podcast. When that man speaks, there are hundreds (laughs) of thousands of people who will listen and do what he says. Do you follow Jocko, for example? Here's another example. Joe, so Jocko, he made a video about shaving your head, right? Shaving Mm -hmm. your head with, with those walled shaver, like trimmers, right? Yeah. And thousands of people shaved their head because he did it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. And I and I thought to myself, Wow. I mean, that's fine. That's not a big deal if you want to shave yeah, your head. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> no real consequence. But I thought to myself, Holy cow! Mm. This is heavy. Yeah. Like weird. what you say matters. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. And with you, as as you continue to grow and expand to the astronomical levels that you have, I'm like, I, I appreciate you saying that. Like, whoa. 
Like the words that I use mm-hmm. and the messages I share, they have consequences and they really matter and they will make a difference positively or negatively in people's lives. And so yeah. there is certainly a level of responsibility that gentlemen like ourselves have to be able to be level-headed, clear-minded and share things that are going to serve other people. 100% man. Ryan, where can people find you online? Uh, go to orderman.com or podcast order man podcast since you're listening to one and you can find us there and connect with us and man we'd be honored to have anybody join us awesome man so good to have you on the show bro i know we could talk forever but i'm trying to keep yeah, this within sure. the normal boundaries thanks Zuby. i appreciate the opportunity man i've looked forward to uh, this conversation and of course uh really been excited about our friendship and looking forward to seeing where this thing goes 100 bro take care thanks man i am the man sick with the slang sick and i'm destined for fame you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24/7 customer support for worry free travel download the viator app now and use code viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator support for this podcast and the following message come from corient Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.